Public Enemy's Minister of Information, Professor Griff, celebrates the 30-year anniversary of the best hip-hop album ever. Thursday, June 28, 2018, at the Jam Handy. Witness a special behind-the-music unsung tribute to Public Enemy's It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back album. Hip-hop performances from Mahogany Jones, Kari Way Frazier, and more will honor the landmark album. We are in full effect. Another Detroit is different. Uh, this is completely a Detroit that's different because I'm not even in Detroit, but I'm in another <laughs> chocolate city, uh, Washington D.C. Very cool. Um, it it's uh it, it it has a lot of the essence of a lot of Detroit hoods, um, <laughs> classic Detroit hood stuff. You know, churches and liquor stores and uh, you buy we fry establishments. Hey, D.C. Uh, Detroit, uh, I imagine many other cities with a big number of uh, black African and brown people. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oakland, Baltimore, um, Newark, New Jersey, uh, even Hartford, Connecticut. It, it's a lot of like little little pockets and stuff. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. a lot of little pockets of stuff. Uh, but I'm here with Chris Shorter. Um, and I'm excited to be here. Um, very excited about the movement, the Detroit is Different movement. Thank you, and, sir. And all that you're doing to sort of change the perception if there is, uh, you know, um, any doubt that <laughs> <laughs> that progress is being, you know, made and that the, the, the uh, residents of Detroit, folks who have been with the city and in the city for, for generations, uh, for generations uh, that they are still there mm -hmm. and love the city and uh and need to be highlighted and championed so oh yeah yeah um that's the uh the primary reason i started detroit is different yep. was um was to just get into the culture how i see it it's a lot of stories and it's a lot of people um uh, that i've interviewed that are in other places but this story always is different just because how it starts in the mm -hmm. in the presence as uh you're someone that i look up to um your 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 family on so many levels yeah. um i don't hold it against you that you went to central instead of northwestern <laughs> <laughs> you, made, you, uh, you can't hold that against me man made you can't the hold wrong neighborhood me. school decision <laughs> <laughs> you know uh, so like um i love me, my me. central trailblazers yeah you got Yes, 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 the Trailblazers. Trailblazers. Um, yeah. Some classic basketball games, Central versus Northwestern. Oh man. You know That's in football. And football. football. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was it was a game. It, it was a rivalry in the stands. Oh yes. And on, on the, field, the field and the court. It was just like, you know, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely the uh Detroit public school police officers or, or security <laughs> guards got their earned their pay those days. <laughs> Uh, most know, days, yes. Yeah, most, yeah, talk about it. Most, <laughs> yeah, days, most days. Most days. Yeah. So um, you're you're now uh, Public Works in D.C. Yes. You, you head this up. Yes. Uh, public Works is something that, uh, like a lot of things that I'm getting into, uh, finding out what it means and people's interpretations and, and it's overcast uh, discussions, you know, like community organizing, community development, mm -hmm. uh, community mm -hmm. activist, yeah. uh, public works. Because just combining those words, uh, you, we can get into the uh, the etymology of both terms mm -hmm. and then you combining them and what it means, like public and work and how it comes together. But uh -huh. uh, to make it simple and plain, um, you know, how, how a lot of stuff functions in the city. Yeah. You're, you're right head on interacting with um most people's complaints at, at neighborhood yeah. uh, community association meetings uh when churches are like they're not picking up this they're not picking up that the city's not and i'm sure it's like you and your staff that uh is taking heed to this mm. and uh being praised absolutely at certain times and then like a head coach uh generally probably when you are in the news it's like oh man here we go well Yes, I, I, that's right. And I, fortunately, we're doing some pretty amazing things and pushing mm -hmm. um, uh, sustainability and some other things that puts our agency in the news in a good way. Okay. Um, so, you know, I, what I'll say is that D.C. is a world-class city and mm -hmm. the expectations around 
us being a beautiful city and having clean streets mm-hmm. are very high. And so yes. uh, Public Works in Washington, D.C. is the agency that keeps our city beautiful and our city clean. Almost 1,600 men and women. Uh, I can I can imagine. Yeah. It, it probably needs to be about double that. I was I went to the African American Museum via you. Um, thank you for that opportunity. And in it, because it's so close to the National Mall, yeah. it, like I can imagine every every weekend is some rally or something that goes on there alone. Oh yeah, and I can you know some just the thought process yeah. of people on the National Mall. I don't think is. Um, you know, giving a hoot, not pollute. People are probably like, you know, I got this sandwich. It is what it is. Yeah, I mean, you. It's amazing. So you, you got it. I mean, so DC is a special place, yes, because it's a city with a pretty uh, mm-hmm. uh, diverse population and very high expectations. But we also there's a very interesting interplay with the federal government mm-hmm. because we are to see the federal government. So the National Park Service mm-hmm. uh, plays a pretty big role when it comes to some of these uh, sort of. Uh, 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 freedom of speech uh, demonstrations, um, especially on federal land, and the Mm -hmm. role that we play, the interplay between the local government and local public works and the Mm -hmm. National Park Service is always very interesting. And who owns what, and it can probably get down to each sidewalk. uh, It was Mayor Kilpatrick when he was in office. He's like, you know, you guys talk about me and the roads, but some of these roads are state roads, and some Mm -hmm. of them are county roads, Mm -hmm. and some of them are city. But you just see it as being in the city of Detroit as... It says Detroit, and we need to, you know, we need to get our our mayor to write. Yes. Uh, And and even here, I mean, even if it is a federal uh, space or federal park or federal pocket park, People uh, don't see it as like, well, you know, this is a federal government thing. They think well, it's in some DC cases, more than likely. But in some cases, because we have a very well-informed uh, oh, resident. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, but, uh, and so we're always in a position where if, it, if we can't get our partners to, you know, uh, do their piece of it, mm-hmm. it, it still needs to be done. I mean, mm-hmm. We're not going to leave it undone. So uh, we, we kind of step up if we need to to keep the city going. Um, you know, p- part part of why I came into either government service, but specifically public works, um, is because of Detroit and mm-hmm. my my sort of road through Detroit and the experiences in Detroit. Uh, it Detroit shaped me in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I love D.C. and I love what's happening in D.C. and certainly the role that I could pl- that I could play mm-hmm. here, uh, but Detroit. Uh, my goodness, uh, you, you know, when you think about, when, it's certainly when I think about um, mm-hmm. some of the trials and tribulations and the process of sort of growing up and learning uh, in, a pl- in, in the neighborhoods around Central High School. Oh, yeah. It's, it's very <laughs> colorful. It's, very, it's a very colorful delivery of, uh, of services. Uh, you know, what makes Detroit different, like I always say, it's the people. Yes. Because the, the characters and the personalities of people, it's always. Yes. But you know, there's value, you know, right? Yeah, so yeah. so you can you can look at that situation and you can look at sort of the neighborhood and, and you could say, oh, it's it, there's this missing and there's this poverty and mm-hmm. there's this. Uh, but you also have to be able to. And I feel like that's, you know, something that I fortunately have and use in this role. Uh, is that you have to be able to walk into that kind of environment and see see the value as well. Mm-hmm. So for me, I you know while we didn't have much, my family loved me to death, mm-hmm. and they did their very best for me. And mm-hmm. fortunately, I had your family and mm-hmm. and teachers and coaches and others who really mm-hmm. poured as much as they could into me. So yes, you could walk into you could have walked into my neighborhood and thought, oh this can't be you know Mm -hmm. an environment where you know a child can thrive absolutely Mm -hmm. but it 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 completely was uh Mm -hmm. especially i mean for me and for for my sister and 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 many uh many others that Mm -hmm. uh that i still know and keep in touch with so um in dc that same sort of phenomena exists where you need to be able to see beauty and see value so let's talk a little bit about that Detroit journey. Uh, first off, um, I always start with your family coming to Detroit. How did your family end up coming to Detroit? Why Detroit? Uh, what stood out? And uh, who came first? Yeah, so my 
my uncle and aunt actually came to Detroit first. Uh, we, we all, my whole family really came from Mississippi. And like most uh, uh, coming to the Midwest from the South, uh, it was around the automotive industry and jobs. So my uncle came, then my mom um, and aunt, and, uh, and I was, it was a pretty young age. We ended up going back to Mississippi for about two years when I was in middle school, mm. and then came back up with my grandmother. Mm. Um, and so my grandmother was the primary, was really the, the uh, stalwart of the family in that she was the glue you know, you know how it is in, in mm. you know, a lot of our families with a grandmother. Uh, Absolutely. Systems. Yep, yep. So she came back up with us uh, and was really the primary force in terms of raising us uh, through middle school and high school. Mm. So, and that's where I was, uh, you know, that's where I spent most of my time in Detroit through middle school and high school. Okay, uh, wh why did, uh, why Detroit? Why did your uncle choose Detroit? Why not uh, some of the other places? Why not? D.C. Why not Chicago? Why not uh, Detroit at the time? So this was this must have been the uh, uh, mid '80s. Mm -hmm. uh, D Detroit is where jobs were. Uh -huh. Yeah, where where he could find an opportunity to make you know to make a living for him mm -hmm. for himself and his family. Mm -hmm. So and with that, you know, his his wife came up and you know their mm -hmm. children. Um, they were here for a few years. Then my mother and aunt you know came mm -hmm. up with us um we were here for you know a few years and then my grandmother came uh got us uh if you will spent a few years in mississippi and then we came back up to detroit r cool. again for you know for f because there were jobs cool now uh did just just knowing detroiters and stuff like could they tell where they like man y'all country is up like was that well, like one of the things when you were a kid? Absolutely, because there's a you know there's there is definitely there's definitely a, uh, a, a uniqueness about the South, right? And how uh -huh. how you know black yeah. people treat each other, and and mm -hmm. how easy it is for us to sort of uh, He's make friends. Me, yeah, <laughs> that's right. You have that same sort of essence when when you go to places like Detroit, you know. Uh, even now, you know, and it's been two generations, three mm -hmm. generations, you still have that sort of real, it's a real Southern kind of feel where, yeah. you know, we we, uh, we don't mind looking at each other and saying hello, even if I don't know you. <laughs> like, what's wrong with him? He that's, said hello to me. That's He's right. from the South. <laughs> where you from, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. like yeah. 10 on pump too. Like, <laughs> this guy said hello to me. What's wrong with him? So, so like uh, yeah. making that adjustment from the south to Detroit. What was that like? What What was your immediate reaction coming to the city? Like, what stood out to you? Well, I was a kid. You mm -hmm. know, I was a kid. So, I think the biggest thing, and I was a kid in middle school. Mm -hmm. And the middle school, middle school is a very it's a transformational oh, yeah, yeah. period for kids. Yes, yeah. yes. So kids could be tough. Mm -hmm. um, I and so. Most of the young people that were in Durfee uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, were 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 educated with each other for, ye for years. years. Yeah, they, they knew were. each other very well. Yeah. So uh, for me coming in, you know, I was athletic and you know I kept good grades and that kind of thing. So I, you know I wasn't a and I wasn't a quiet kid. So mm -hmm. it was fine, but I was not the kid that sort of ran with the cool group. Yeah, you know what I mean. I I just what I was never that kid, and it was uh -huh. partially because I moved around a bit, mm -hmm. um, but mostly because of my personality. I was like, no, I, I you know, I wanna, I wanna succeed. I wanna yes, do this. Exactly. I wanna do that. So, you all are cool. You know, I, I we can hang out, but I'm not gonna be the one that's mm -hmm. you know, uh, sort of uh, you know hanging with the crew all the time. So so what stood out more so was that. Like this whole new definition of what cool was and how things are. Like any any monuments, any things just like unique about the city. Because um, I do know also like sometimes seeing stuff, it'll stand out in your mind when you're a teenager or like at that adolescence. Well, I think honestly, um, uh, it was around that time, you know, like eighth, ninth, tenth grade where I knew that I wanted to ultimately sort of be a part of making a city better. Hmm. Like my love for cities started at that young age, mm -hmm. partially because I felt like the city should be doing better. Hmm. Um, and, and, and that, the, that I see in certain areas of the city, 
mm-hmm. city services working and mm-hmm. beautiful neighborhoods with beautiful streets that are swept mm-hmm. and uh, in other areas of the city where it feels like the neighborhoods are ignored. Mm-hmm. So it was, I mean, part of, you know, part of that experience still impacts me right now. And mm-hmm. in terms of my own pride and what I do and what I'm able to do in D.C., uh, that started in Detroit. Okay. That started in Detroit. So from Durfee to the school right next door, Central, Central. which they're like, they're really combined. They the are. Scheme of they, things. they may be connected. I don't know if they're yeah, like. They, I mean, it's like, yeah. <laughs> like physically, yeah. you know. No. I know. So Maybe, by, I don't know. I so figured. by then, you kind of know the kids a little bit more. And you were, you went to Central at like a, at a unique time. Like it was a lot like I remember the Antonio Gates uh, state championship. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Coach Tail. Uh, it was just a lot of stuff. Um, Woody Thomas, uh, yeah. Coach Smith. You know these yeah. these these are legends uh, in sort of in the in the Central High School. Oh yeah. Uh, athletic the world. of yeah. Yeah and uh, yeah I mean so I I played football and swam and all you know and all the sports and. Um, that I could, I was very active, uh, mm. as a, you know, as a student, mostly because, you know, I knew that I wanted, you know, some, I wanted better, uh, mm-hmm. than, than, you know, than I, than I had. So I, I felt like the way to do that is to be really good on the field so I can get some scholarship. Woody Thomas, I mean, coach Thomas used to say that all the time. I mean, you got, you got to work hard in order to mm-hmm. sort of be, be noticed by college scouts and, and coach and let me say this coach thomas is in the grand scheme of things as we talk about like detroit culture like as detroit as he is he definitely had like a southern oh big time you know yeah, like yeah. like you know i mean seriously like it's and a coach thomas guy in like mississippi louisiana yeah 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 you know, yeah like and where it's like what did he say yes you hit it you hit it he actually i'm sure he has ties in, in the <laughs> Alabama, yeah. South, arkansas um yeah. you know i i remember the the big you know homecomings uh something that um something that definitely uh stood out in 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 my mind at the time and it it no longer happens was like the broad street parade so it always Mm -hmm. be like um you know central was you know so involved in that just walking up and down dexter central and northwestern and a couple kids from murray Wright. it's a big deal Big so, deal. Our um, bands and yeah. the, you know, it, you know, yeah, that, going over to pull it all out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's like it'd be like Coach Thomas. Like you see all the coaches interact with each other, and they all know each other. It, yeah. it was a, uh, you know, that neighborhood. Um, it was an opportunity for kids to sort of be to display kind of their pride for their school and and what they do, and especially those students were that were, were very active, whether it's the band or ROTC or J, I should say JROTC mm-hmm. uh, or uh, or af- or athletics. I mean, you it was your opportunity to represent your school in your neighborhood, which yeah. made and so that meant that your friends who maybe weren't in school and dropped out, or your yeah, parents yeah. or your 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 uh, non-immediate family that they all had an opportunity to kind of see you um you know be proud of sort of what you're doing yeah um, so yeah no it was uh it, though the parade was the sort of uh annual kind of opportunity for us to kind of show you know show yeah, our love like for the school that neighborhood alone too because yes. it'd be you know it'd be some people from outside the neighborhood but for the most part like it's like man that day de- that parade should come back because you know yeah see kids walking with you know the central jerseys or northwestern jerseys and it's like, ah, this know. is it, these are the kinds of things that make a community a community you know that pulls people together around you know schools or around programs or around kids you know mm-hmm. um and love for their their own kids um mm-hmm. so no if it if it doesn't exist it absolutely should come back out you know all right, back with the Chris Shorter interview. We are back in full effect as we've uh, gone through more Detroit is different, and we picking up with one of uh, my favorite classic West Side events of the Broad Street Parade. We were talking about it. You were talking about the Battle of the Bands that went down every year. Uh, it would be Cass, King, Northwestern, and Central always represented as that was like our neighborhood. Absolutely, absolutely. 
Well, yeah, glad to be joining you again. And uh, we were we, we stopped for a second and yeah. got to hear from some just exceptional Detroiters. I'm going to call them Detroiters, yeah, although yeah, many yeah. of them are in D.C. now. And yeah, uh, yeah. hopefully going to be able to sort of push some of their talent and skill back into the city at some point. They're going to be like LeBron going back to Cleveland. That's right. Uh, but uh, back just to Akron or wonderful, <laughs> wonderful examples of what the city has produced mm-hmm. uh, in terms of young people and young, you know, young now professionals and hopefully mentors. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was great to hear them talk about how they want to give back. Um, yeah. Uh, to, to the next generation. So just exceptional. That said, Yes, yeah, so we were talking about the parade and uh, and in the 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 ability to see value in a neighborhood where most would walk in and not be able to only see the deficits. Yeah. Uh, so um, I uh, I'm you know the parade is just one example of celebrating the institutions and mm-hmm. the programs and the young people that uh, that the neighborhood produced all day. Yeah. It, it was yeah. it was deep. And that just definitely leads to the trajectory. You're a rattler, uh, a fam you got. Right. So you 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 had a little bit of a my bad of a battle with a band experience, but then you went to HBCU to really get yeah, the battle with a band experience. Yes. Well, I mean, so my fam you story is a pretty uh, a pretty amazing story. I've been blessed in that. Uh, so I, I was accepted to Michigan State really on site, like many students, uh, in, especially with de- uh, the D- Detroit public high school system who, you know, do well. Uh-huh. Uh, I think the top percentage of all student bodies uh, within, the di- within the public school system uh, can get accepted, you know, to places like Michigan State. So uh, Michigan State came to Central High School, accepted me right on site. Mm. I had my meal plan, my acceptance letter. And uh, and the plan was already set, and really it was it was your parents, right? It was Mama Jan and Baba Greg that said, "Well, Chris, you 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 know you need to at least apply to an HBCU." And I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't even know what an HBCU was. You know, wow, didn't even know what it was, right? What the institutions were at the time, and so here I am, a, a senior, uh, you know, actually a junior in high school, and uh, and applied to FAMU really without seeing the school but just based on Mama Jan's recommendation so applied mm. to FAM okay now one second I knew you apply I knew the story of them encouraging but I never knew you didn't even know of it I did not until even know. my mom suggested FAMU absolutely absolutely mm, ain't absolutely. that something yeah and talk about and when you think about the journey that we'll sort of talk about and get into uh that really made a major difference in terms of my own trajectory and, and uh-huh. the direction that I went. So that's it. I applied to FAM, you know, got into FAMU, and my senior high school went on a class trip. And so only a few of us went down to Orlando uh, mm-hmm. as part of our senior class uh, trip. And I kind of snuck over to, to Tallahassee from Orlando, caught the Greyhound bus on my own. Mm-hmm. I took a day away from the senior class and caught um, – once I got to the campus mm-hmm. and saw FAMU for what it was, I think that day the students were actually protesting. Uh, there was a protest recently on Howard's campus where they yeah, said yeah. it on the president's yeah. office. And, uh, and that's what was happening at FAMU the day I was uh-huh. there. And so I got to walk into what was a pretty vibrant, amazing pop, you know, sort of campus and student body very active students who were very passionate about sort of what you know what they were marching on i saw some of the fraternities and Mm -hmm. uh, sororities and they were uh and i just felt so at home wow and while i was states away from home uh i felt when i got to campus famu's campus this is home i know i have a plan i i know i I already have this sort of uh, my room and my meal plan Mm -hmm. at michigan state but it it was clear to me, and I made a decision that day on my own that FAMU was where I was going to go. Ah, uh, man. Uh, it's, I, it's uh, yes. Man. Ain't it, that it's something? A, it's an amazing, amazing sort of story. And I don't, ever, I don't remember having a clearer sense of a decision uh, ever in my life. Hmm. Like, I had a very clear sense once I got to campus that this was where I was meant to be. Okay, so it's so funny because now we got – 
you came from the south came to detroit people looked at you like you're southern and then you go from detroit back down south yeah yes and that's that's a hot south too it is tallahassee is whew. Ooh, yeah they they it's the the red dirt and the highest of seven hills they they say so uh it was it's an amazing school and mm-hmm. uh and I, I think i share my experience is sort of the same experience that many of our uh, uh, brothers and sisters have at HBCUs. I mean, these are institutions that uh, sort of pride themselves on caring, mm-hmm. but also pride themselves on excellence. And so when I got to campus, I mean, you can imagine I'm leaving Central High School where I'm the class president and the captain mm-hmm. of the football team and I'm in JRTC, I'm you doing all guy. these things, and I'm used to sort of you know, I got all these scholarships and, and that sort, and I'm used to sort of being identified as a good student and someone who is, you know, really working hard to mm-hmm. be be a success. I got to FAMU, and it was like... Everybody like Everybody that. was class president. Yeah. Everybody was, you know, captain mm-hmm. of their teams and that sort, so it really was... I, it was like starting all over, but it was a, it was a wonderful revelation for me mm-hmm. because it was like, no we have uh, an amazing sort of a uh, sort of a diverse uh, skill set um, even amongst our own people you know even amongst our own people and so uh, getting there and meeting other young you know other students who were just starting out coming from thousands hundreds of miles away mm-hmm. uh, was just it was uh, transformational uh, huh. and uh, and really set me on a pretty amazing path uh, what was the the other Detroiters that were down there? Did you guys like uh, yeah, kinda, you know, kind of rally and it was like, oh man, what's they, up? Like you people know, you like, never talked to like in the city, absolutely. but now now that you like in a in a close proximity, it's like, hey, what's up? Like every school, uh, we had the sort of Chicago club and the Detroit. Well, it was actually the Michigan club. It wasn't the Detroit club mm-hmm. exclusively. It was a Michigan club and Miami club and all mm-hmm. these other you know sort of location based you know clubs so yes we we did community service and all that stuff and um uh uh, party together and Mm -hmm. you know one of the things that i realized right away though was that uh i wanted to while i wanted to make sure i maintained really good relationships with the kids who came from detroit when i came from detroit i also wanted to make sure i made it a priority to really expand in a very broad way my sense of uh sort of network mm-hmm. and friends so i didn't i didn't just socialize with the michigan crew uh, club i really made it my business to kind of make um uh, make friends and really build relationships with students from around uh, uh you know around the country and, and i did that so uh the network of fam you alum now uh that i am uh able to sort of say i have true lifelong relationships. Yeah, I was going to say, are you still close with a lot of these people from FAMU that you connected with? Bro, the network is so strong, man. I mean, and and I went on to the University of Pittsburgh and I've done some other sort of executive type uh, training programs. And so uh, when I think about alumni, uh, Mm -hmm. sort of uh, relationships, Mm -hmm. it's the FAMU uh, alumni Mm -hmm. uh, network that is the strongest. uh, And that is... uh, 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 is is the most friendly but competitive network that you will ever find, mm-hmm. because I have, I have you know men and women in in the FAMU network that are mayors and managing partners and you know working to serve cities and companies and nonprofits and have built their own businesses. Mm-hmm. So it really it has it's an amazing network uh, of of black people uh so uh so no i have absolutely maintained those relationships and uh and it's a powerful powerful thing how often do you go back to the campus now once every uh, every few years so uh we alum uh what is it homecoming is is uh is big at fam so we uh i go back down certainly to celebrate my own anniversaries you know uh in terms of the frat and uh when i finish from fam uh, and and then to celebrate some in some cases some others anniversaries uh, f- 
that mm. I'm close that I'm close to. So I would say every two or three years I'm, I go back down. So uh, what about the changes there? Uh, are things changing? Are things remaining the same? Does they have that same feel? What What are you noticing when you go back? Well, I think in general, uh, HB higher education is in a transformational period. Yes, where throughout America, absolutely, mm-hmm. um, where they just like there's a a sort of um, a uh, disruption disruption kind of a model that's happening in corporate America and mm-hmm. with you know with uh, 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 net Netflix and all these other sort of major mm-hmm. corporations. There's very much a disruptive uh, movement happening in higher education where more people are getting access to higher education online. Mm-hmm. So the old way of thinking about sort of brick and mortar. Uh, education is changing. That said, I think HBCUs, uh, not just FAMU, but Howard and Grambling and Spelman and Spelman and Morehouse, Morehouse mm-hmm. are also uh, going through a transition. And mm-hmm. um, and so there is a certainly a need for us as alumni of these institutions to make sure that we are very much advocating for and giving back to not just our money, but our time, our brain power, our energy to make sure these institutions survive. Mm -hmm. So uh, FAMU, when I got there, was one of the number one institutions for black kids with national achievement that were recognized as national achievement scholars. We had more national achievement scholars at FAMU than we had at Harvard in 1996 when I got to FAMU. Uh, And we had the kinds of programs where you expected to have an internship abroad or you expected to have an internship with a company that was in the Fortune 100 or Fortune 500. So uh, it was uh, an exceptional place to be, and I believe it still is, even though the university has, you know, certainly gone through some changes in Mm -hmm. administrations and university presidents. Frederick Humphreys was the president of FAMU at the time that I was there, and there have been a few uh, presidents since uh, since I left. a few years out from FAMU at this point. Yeah, 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 a couple of days. Yeah. So let's get into those couple of days and working within the city. You said Detroit inspired you for knowing that a city could function better. Absolutely. Um, what was your first job into city administration? Yeah. So my so r- after graduate school, I actually went to uh, New York. I mm-hmm. worked for an organization called the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. They they sort of manage, operate the World Trade Center site, all the airports, uh, seaports in New York and in New Jersey. Uh, they uh, manage the bridges and tunnels, the George Washington Bridge, which caught, was caught in some political controversy a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and so it was a large organization. And I got to, uh, sort of as a management trainee, spend time in b- various segments of the organization. So I got to spend time in the World Trade Redevelopment effort. I got to spend time managing some of the airports and uh, in time uh, sort of in with this working with what the CFO. Y- what years were you there? T- two, 2004 through, wow, through 2008. Okay, yeah. what, was that, um, what was that experience like? It was, uh, it was a perfect place to start my career. I mean, I I, w- I couldn't stay in New York, uh, especially once I started having you know y- uh, kids and mm-hmm. uh, and a f- you know the family. It just is hard to be in a place like New York when you're raising a young family, with the commute times and the space and you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I, it made sense for us to leave after a few years. But in terms of starting my professional career, I I would say that I was I. It, I was sharpened mm-hmm. my whole sort of sh- way of thinking about public service and about working on behalf of sort of residents and being uh, uh, thoughtful about how we use funds. Um, uh, it was sharpened in New York because there there's a very there's very much a kind of uh, you need to you need to be thought thorough uh, in terms of the way you work and the way that you think about your work uh, in New York. Mm-hmm. So, uh, New York led me to D.C. Uh, and and really my first and I'll, I'll so let me say this: I was there for four years, four and a half years, doing very well at the Port Authority. I had a good friend who uh, who uh, who was an architect and also working on a World Trade Center site. Uh, that you know he used to always say, "Hey, young guy with a family," always say, "Yeah." 
you know, this job is it's good, but I'm going to do the stuff that I'm really interested in doing once I retire from this job. Right. So he mm-hmm. had been at the Port Authority for about nine years or so. Uh, and um, and uh, this guy actually passed away mm-hmm. on the way home suddenly of a brain aneurysm. Wow. And that that it 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 kind of sent me a message. And I went home, you know, I went back uh, to my um, wife and, and and we talked quite a bit about sort of waiting to be happy. And sort of, and waiting for your, w- waiting for your life's purpose. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, there. I have been too blessed. There have been too many people who have had a, a hand in my, uh, getting out of Detroit and doing the things that I've been able to do, for me to be satisfied with, a, a nine, a regular nine to five. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like I need to be doing more for more people. Mm-hmm. And like I said. The, the path I was on, I was doing well. I was very successful. They loved me at the Port Authority. It was clear what my path was going to be if I stayed, but it wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. So I knew that I, you know, I need to be doing more for, for people because there were people who did more, more for me. Mm-hmm. So uh, after that, uh, after, uh, you know, this guy's name was Brian, uh, passed away, I thought in terms of my own life and my own path, how does this, what does this mean for me? And am I putting on hold what I should be doing in mm-hmm. terms of my own life's, my own promise, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so um, uh, a few months later, we moved to Washington, D.C. Um, and I accepted a job uh, at that time with the Boys and Girls Clubs of Greater Washington. Hmm. So I went from sort of quasi-private, government organization to a nonprofit because I felt like well I'm going to live this commitment and and actually help people so I, I moved down to DC to work for a nonprofit and uh, but Boys and Girls Clubs at the time was a regional organization many people know the Boys and Girls Clubs of America mm-hmm. 22 clubs in this region uh, pretty pretty large in terms of affiliates and it was a fantastic year uh, mm. uh, being able to shape young lives uh, in this in that way was the perfect way to start. You you still have relationships with some of those people from the Boys and Girls Club? Absolutely, some of them are with me now. Oh, okay, uh, in terms of the work that I'm doing and mm-hmm. um, and and that sort, I'm on the board of a organization called uh, See Forever Foundation, who hmm. oversees the Maya Angelou Charter School. Hmm. Uh, and so uh, many of the staff and some of the board members and, and, seen, and executives I met mm. doing work with the Boys and Girls Club in Greater Washington. So uh, it was, uh, I'm absolutely still mu- very much involved. Uh, once there though, mm-hmm. it became clear that young people in DC who were disconnected, either disconnected from schools, disconnected from uh, from uh, economic opportunity, disconnected from jobs, mm-hmm. were falling deeper and deeper into the juvenile justice system. Mm-hmm. And you know this, and I'm sure many of your listeners know this, once you get connected to the criminal justice system. It's or to damn, it's, it, once you get in a record, it's hard to shake it. Absolutely. So recidivism is one of the cha- most <laughs> challenging um, social, uh, social conditions that exist, especially in the black community. Absolutely. And, and it is a predetermined it is it is absolutely an indicator of whether you will be yeah. able to sort of uh, leap uh, beyond mm-hmm. you know what the expectations of mm-hmm. you were uh, so uh, so uh, so after about a year at the Boys and Girls Clubs I realized that the juvenile justice system was going through its own um, transformation and they were really reshaping the juvenile justice system under a guy named Benny Chiraldi who was w- here in D.C. Uh, and so I decided, you know, I think I could be of more use Over in the there. district government working uh, mm-hmm. in the juvenile justice system, sort of. Mm-hmm. And at the time, there were so many things happening in the system where uh, the government was trying to push programs into the community. So where young people would... You know, a young person would, you know, get caught up in the system, um, be sent away, 
let's say, uh, in Washington, D.C. is a special place because we are, we function as a state, we function mm -hmm. as a county, we function as a city. Uh, and so uh, many of the young people and certainly a lot of the adults who get caught up in the criminal justice system are sent away from D.C., mm -hmm. right? They are not, they are not kept housed here in Washington, D.C., and that's the same as the case for, for young people at the time uh, back in uh, 2008. Uh, and so uh, we, were n we were bringing more kids home, but you understand after six months or a year or two years and you're 16 years old of being away, you come back and you have gone through a, a, a reshaping, right? You've, mm -hmm. you've probably had some counseling, or, uh, rehabilitation. You understand better what you can do. Um, but you go back to the same neighborhood that you left. And you go back to people who see you the way they saw you two years ago. Mm -hmm. So if there's no support for you, if there's no, if there's no network of counselors, no, net, no, no job opportunities, no one helping to make sure you're getting in school and that you're successful in school. Yeah. What happens? Well, I mean, you what fall I right say, back into the same pattern. I always tell people the streets is hiring. <laughs> the streets is hiring. So the you know. system at the time had built this network of nonprofit organizations and community-based organizations to, to meet young people right where they were and not just mm -hmm. young people, but their families as well. Yeah. And so I wanted to be a part of that. And I actually spent about three and a half, four years uh, first as chief of staff and then as chief operating officer of the juvenile justice system here in D.C. Um, uh, then I went on to uh, the special education transportation system. At the time, it was under federal court oversight. Uh, and so I, 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 I went to uh, OSI or the Office of the State Superintendent of Education, mm -hmm. and we pulled the system out of. Uh, federal court oversight and now this the system is managed by the city even mm -hmm. to today the system is no longer under federal court oversight uh, and then I went to the Department of Health as the chief operating officer uh, um, and you know this because it's the case in every major city the depart the departments of health uh, control so much federal funding yeah and have such a major impact on health and health outcomes in cities. Mm -hmm. uh, and so in when, whether it's uh, 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 HIV, AIDS, mm -hmm. uh, information and education, or school nurses, yeah. right? Nurses in the schools, it all falls oftentimes under your city's department sanctions, of health. Sanctions for restaurants. Yes, closing down restaurants. Sanctions for uh, bathrooms. Yes, you um, got it, you got a it. A lot of stuff, no. a lot of stuff. So, uh, so after the Department of Health, uh, I was uh, asked to, uh, by, by our current mayor, Muriel Bowser, to come work in the transition office at the time. Uh, stay in, so I did that and um, worked with the city administrator, Rashad Young, and, and mm -hmm. the mayor there in the transition office. They asked me to stay on after, and I uh, so, uh, stayed in the city administrator's office as the sort of ag director of agency operations citywide. Um, and then about six months into the into the uh, um, her first term, I was asked to come here uh, hmm. to the Department of Public Works. And uh, 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 Public Works, like in many cities, has all kinds of responsibilities. Yeah. Uh, when you think about the men and women who are responsible for collecting your trash and recycling. Mm hmm painting the beautiful murals that keep the cities clean I mean keep the cities beautiful mm. uh, cleaning streets and alleys uh, here in Washington DC which is a little special uh, there are only a few other public works uh, agencies in the country that do this we actually deal with parking enforcement uh, and so we issue these sort of parking enforcement tickets and all that stuff and we uh, and so there are a number of things that the agency does this was not nat my natural path uh, mm -hmm. I, so when when I when I was coming to DPW, I was coming truly to uh, to to be an interim director until they found a permanent. But once I got to DPW and fully understood uh, the breadth and scope that the agent and of services that the agency provides and how it sort of helps the city. And I got to start meeting some of the workforce, some mm -hmm. of the men and women who actually are responsible for doing this work. Yeah. 
it was clear to me that this was exactly where I needed to be. Hilarious. Because I'm, I'm guessing that the people that work here are like really the pulse of that, that D.C. native that's been here. Absolutely. That's worked here. You got it. That Seven, knows and seventy percent, seventy percent of the men and women, the the sixteen hundred or so men and women that make up this workforce, live right here in Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. So when we think about pathways to the middle class, uh, mm-hmm. we think about tr- trying to make sure that we are creating opportunities for home ownership. Uh, it is the DPW workforce that we're doing it for, right? And so, mm-hmm. and I'm going to be frank in that. I also, some of the men and women that are are young people that I came in touch Mm -hmm. with when I was working at DYRS or the deep end of the juvenile justice system, Mm -hmm. I see now working with me here Mm -hmm. at DPW. Yeah. Right. So things like making sure that we have, we provide opportunities for getting their GEDs, uh, home, you know, sort of uh, life skills training, computer training. We have partnerships with the public library. Uh, we have partnerships with uh, Southern New Hampshire University to get um, associates degrees, bachelor's degrees. These are not traditionally things that employers concern themselves with, especially in municipal services. But it is something that we make a priority at DPW because it speaks you know, directly if you raise to our workforce. The quality of life of the people that work here it raises the quality of life of the community in the first place, and it and it increases their their excitement and enthusiasm mm-hmm. about serving the city yeah so if you treat them well they're going to treat the city well right yeah. and so it is uh it is uh it is a phenomenal opportunity for me to sort of play a role uh in in making the city better so what's what's their take what's their common take of of a city like detroit well D- in a lot of ways dc is a lot like detroit mm-hmm in terms of the pride that mm-hmm. folks have in their city, the desire to make sure that the city doesn't forget them mm-hmm. uh, in its own sort of um, pr- prosperity. Uh, and, and what we see in terms of the transformation in some of the neighborhoods around uh, Washington, D.C. is a wonderful thing. We just want to make sure that that transformation doesn't ha- exclude the people that right. have been here. That, that there's room Mm-hmm. Uh, for for who wants to come, for who but wants it to come. also is not uh, ostracizing or uh, kicking out the people that absolutely have been here. Absolutely. So, um, what what's their take like when they when they talk when they find out you're from Detroit? What's what's their what's the general comment that you get generally? Well, um, w- w- you know, I guess it all boils down to sort of uh, you know. You know, what kind of sports teams I like and oh, all this okay. sort of stuff. I mean, it's more, more I think for, for the staff at DPW, it's more Chris can identify with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm not a typical sort of uh, director for an agency this size. You know, mm-hmm. I'm a little younger, uh, but, uh, but also someone who can truly, you know, truly identify. Like, I'm here for more than just, you know, mm-hmm. and while I'm a very much – focused on operations and operational efficiency and making sure we keep mm. our own commitments to the city. I'm also very much focused on, you know, how we make this, you know, how we do our best for our workforce. And I th- we know and I, the workforce knows that. So the men and women who, you know, who mm. are at DPW uh, have a pride in the agency and they know that I'm, you know, I'm really working to make sure that we do our best for them. Um, and I, it's it's made a difference. Certainly. Okay, so so being that uh, being you're here and and you and you see you visit back to Detroit, you read about Detroit. It's more in the news. Uh, wh- what do you think is happening in the city like Detroit now? And uh, what what do you feel uh, should be the investment made to to continue to build upon what's happening in the right direction? Well, so I'm I, it. Uh, I'm not as familiar with, mm-hmm. you know, some of the sort of policy, yeah, issues currently. happening mm-hmm. in Detroit. In that, uh, but I will say that I study cities, mm-hmm. uh, and I I love cities. I think city mm-hmm. cities is the closest example to what government should be and can be to to residents mm-hmm. because we it's pretty direct. Yeah, like it's more hands on. 
So I, while I am sort of dealing with, you know, sort of policy, larger policy issues, mm-hmm. most of my day is dealing directly with residents mm-hmm. who are calling or emailing to say, uh, a, this tree branch is in my yard or uh, someone didn't mm-hmm. close the lid on my trash can when y'all got my trash, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> so it's a big city, but it's a small town too. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that, uh, uh, and so, uh, to answer your question, so I think cities in general are, all, are, and some of them are at different sort of different points in different places, uh, that we're going through this this change in perception. That people now they want to be closer to where they work. They won't, don't want to have to commute so long. Mm-hmm. So you have uh, people moving back into cities. This sort of movement to to reclaim residential neighborhoods and um mm. and and sort of take back or rediscover yeah as they say um, like the the five minute the five minute community like if within five minutes i should be able to walk to the store buy my clothes right uh entertain myself right get back home yeah. go to the library go to the school so i do know that there have been a number of even pretty senior level public uh, officials, public mm-hmm. administrators who've left D.C. to go back to Detroit um, mm-hmm. to help with some of the planning that's happening mm-hmm. uh, in the city. Uh, I, I, I know he, in most cities there is a, in terms of just the thinking about city development and planning, mm-hmm. there's this uh, desire to make sure the city is uh, well-suited for private companies to come in Mm-hmm. and take over office space uh, and uh, and bring in sort of this tax base of higher paying jobs. jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that is a model, that is an approach, and I think uh, that to some extent that approach works, but it's not an all-inclusive approach. I think mm-hmm. you have to have, in any city, and most cities know this, uh, different strategies to uh, provide for different, pop- different groups of your population. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you have to be thinking about what's happening in a downtown area in terms of redevelopment and how you make sure you uh, leverage those resources to continue to invest in your residential neighborhoods as well. Because a city that has um, wonderful downtown uh, sort of amenities and entertainment districts uh, without developed n- residential neighborhoods is not sustainable because mm. what what that means is that people are coming in to be entertained or to work and they're leaving the city uh, at 5 at, at 5 p.m. or they're coming in on the weekend to go mm-hmm. to a game and they're leaving the city after the game which it you know th- it it do- the ripples of that doesn't benefit the city as much uh, as uh, you know vibrant walkable neighborhoods can and should uh, and so I don't know sort of how far um, that that thinking sort of is coming along in Detroit, uh, but I know that cities across the country are struggling with how you make sure you um, are inclusive for those folks who have stuck with the city for mm-hmm. generations. All right, now moving back to Detroit, uh, just, you know, you've, you've gone on a lot of things in your journey in life. Uh, have you ever considered moving back? Sure. After gra- so after I finished from FAMU mm-hmm. and before graduate school, I did come back and worked for uh, Mayor Kilpatrick for about uh, nine months before going again before going to graduate school. Now I was young and uh, very um, idealistic in my thinking about sort of the city and what uh, what was possible, mm-hmm. uh, and I had not been really trained in the way that I was trained at the University of Pittsburgh in terms of. Uh, best practice around city development and uh, Mm. um, sort of some of the challenges that urban renewal brought a few decades ago in terms of the impact that it had on black communities and other, you know, this sort of the highway movement, uh, you know, had on on cities that we still feel the Mm -hmm. effects of today. Um, So that said, during that time, I had everything thought that eventually I would come back to, to Detroit. Uh, I will say now, I love DC. I love what's happening in DC and the role that I'm able to play. Uh, so right now, 
it's got you. Right now, DC is uh, is home. is magic. I got you. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's I got you. Some amazing things happening, and I'm pretty blessed to uh, be uh, to be able to sort of share in you know in what's happening here in this way. So okay, um, and I guess I'm gonna close out as we as we end up wrapping mm. uh, with some classic Detroit is different questions. First, um, what was your very first car? Uh, what year, make, and model? <laughs> <laughs> uh, was the car, and then what year did you get it? Sure, wow, that's okay. So I didn't get a car until I was in college, mm-hmm. and I, it was a uh, <laughs> it was a Chevy Prism. Okay, it was a Chevy Chevy Prism, and I I guess it was a '98, uh-huh. uh, and it was maybe a '97, '96. It was a, a okay, yeah, and it was you know black. Now I I actually switched that car out, uh, you know, mm. about a year after because I wanted something a little bigger and I wanted mm. something that uh, fit me a little better. Uh, uh-huh. So I ended up getting the the Mazda six six two nine or six two six. Yeah, I ended up like buying some of that car from you. Oh yeah, that's day, right. I remember, yeah. So was it a six? It was a six two six two six. Yeah, six two six. What? Yeah. Um, <laughs> where was the first place you went with your uh, Chevy Prism when you got it? Well, I was in college, so I was going back and forth. At that point, I know I knew I needed it because I had moved off campus. Oh, okay. So I was going back and forth to to campus. I think the first road trip was for, was uh, to uh, to Atlanta. Hmm. Uh, in that in that uh, prison uh, often that's an often oh, road yeah, trip we, for, for that yeah. um second question um you're a dj it's the end of the fireworks you get to play three songs woodward and jefferson what three songs are you playing uh outcast which uh, one what's the name of that track uh-huh yeah yeah okay uh the rosa parks i got you yeah um well, Dead Prez just did a concert last night, so I would probably play some Dead Prez. Which uh, uh, which song? Um, hip hop. Okay, I like yeah. it. I like it. Uh, and I would. Man, uh, this is an extremely black city. If like the city, si- if the city of Washington D.C. had Dead Prez doing a concert, a part of their concert series. Uh, right, but no. Okay, <laughs> this is like beyond black. It's yeah. like I'm an African. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> No, it was private, privately uh, promoted. It, it <laughs> oh man! Uh, and then uh, let's say pro- probably Common. Common's a, a, a FAMU alum. Okay, uh, yeah, he so, is. So, um, you know, uh, but you know what? It's a you said you said it's a party uh, that it, it don't really. Okay, what Common song though? What song are you playing? Ooh. Oh, that's. Uh, Man, that's tough. You know, I don't. Man, that's tough. Cause, cause he did, he did a few. Hmm. Hmm. I'm not sure. I'd have to. I have to think longer about that. Uh, Okay. I'm gonna say I will pick the corner if I was playing something from Common. Ooh, the corner. It's been a while since I heard that one. Yeah, that's the one that I would play. But I've sort of bailed. Yeah, but you gotta pick something. I always say. And then uh, last question: If you could rename Woodward after one Detroiter, who would it be and why? Uh, um. Well, this is so Coleman Young. I know that you know this is probably a very uh, traditional answer. Yeah, he um, gets. He definitely gets the most votes. Yeah, I mean, he he. It, so I study cities and certainly study mayors. Mm-hmm. And he was not just in Detroit, but for mayors at the time around the country. Mm-hmm. He was he was a trailblazer. Yeah. Uh, and while he, you know, upset a lot of folks, white especially folks. the folks, folks in the suburbs yeah, around Detroit. Folks. And we still feel the you yeah. know ripples of that uh, um, anger. Um, he he was an absolute genius. OK, now. On that point, because I've been asking people this, like, um, you know, his starch stance on 50 percent hiring black folk and 50 percent hiring black contractors. I used to think that, like, man, that just seems crazy, you know, hire the best person for the job, hire the best contractor. But 
Now I'm starting to think that that's probably the only well, way black people may get the job. What What's your stance on something like so that? So in D.C., in D.C., there's a so our former mayor, Marion Barry. Yeah, he's a lot like a yeah. It's like you know Marion Barry established um, the black middle class uh, in the city. Uh, mayor Maynard down in uh, Atlanta. Absolutely. Uh, Sharp in Newark. Yes. Um. Um. California. And um, 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 I know in San Francisco, Mayor. Um, this is going to kill me. Um, Willie Brown. Yeah. Willie Brown. Uh, you know, so in terms of city jobs, and when I mm-hmm. when I go to a new city, and I see kind of the look feel of mm-hmm. the government workforce, mm-hmm. oftentimes uh, it is an indication of what's sort of happening in the city in terms of. Uh, uh, economic equality or at least some road for mm-hmm. black folks to make it to the middle class having stable jobs uh, and so um, many cities have this requirement now now I don't know if it's as high as 50 percent but if you're a contractor and you are benefiting from taxpayer dollars uh, being required to employ taxpayers <laughs> and I heard you earlier in one of the earlier sessions um, Kari, talk about sort of uh, some private vendor saying mm-hmm. or, or third party saying, I, we can't find. Yes, we cannot employable. find the people to do the jobs because and they're not they don't have the aptitude to learn. Well, how to how to apply this skill. So we'll pay the fine as opposed to hire the people from the city. Well, I say pay the fine. But this is an opportunity for. A, a vendor, a construction company, or whoever, to participate in the work in the sort of training and development process. Mm-hmm. And so, if you if you can't find a pool of talented residents who can do sort of these skill paying jobs, mm-hmm. then that's when you create apprenticeship programs, which we have at mm-hmm. DPW, an apprenticeship program where we're training auto mechanics. Mm-hmm. But you create these apprenticeship programs, and you hold the vendors accountable. Right. For making sure that next time this happens, like next year when there's another construction project, that we do have the skilled labor because they are being trained. So you can't just pay the fine because ultimately uh, and as a city, you almost have to be you you have to almost have milestones and contractual obligations. So um, so it's it's because these because cities are so attractive. There's mm-hmm. so much development happening. Um, the cities have an opportunity now to almost sort of set. Uh, Build a precedent. Yes. Uh, that, uh, that you was have not to invest. Yeah. You have to be willing to invest in the city. Mm-hmm. You have to be willing to sort of employ city residents. And I think it is it's not to say that it's not a real, you know, sort of complaint if you're a private vendor or a construction company that we just we tried to hire Detroiters we you know we can't employ uh, you know we can't find enough to fill the positions that we have but my question would be what can we do to make sure that that's not going to continue to be a problem and so the answer to that question is force them to use the same resources that they would have used employing to uh, to make sure that they're training, mm-hmm. um, and so mm-hmm. you can train on the job. So be, if if you are if you can't meet the criteria for employment uh, to work on this construction site, then certainly if we created a program uh, where you can do some things on that construction site, but you need to be trained to do other things, then we just need to be as thoughtful as possible as a government uh, to design these programs so that vendors can do that in That's lieu of. In lieu of the hiring, I—that's how you build capacity. That's you. how you build, right? I feel you, right? That type so. of radical uh, pushing of, especially a, a good old boy city like Detroit and Chicago. Another here at Washington, another absolutely. Mayor, but uh, <laughs> yes, that good old boy theories of what they want to do, mm-hmm. uh, and honestly, had uh, I believe led to one, another one of your fam you. Uh, uh, fellow graduates being incarcerated for like 30 years 
by trying to push the envelope of what were general practices by a lot of contractors that felt entitled to, in some ways, contracts without any, uh, you know, without any. I learned so anything much. Anything bucking back from uh, Kwame Kilpatrick uh, in uh, about public service and mm-hmm. about love for a city. Mm-hmm. You know, and granted, he, like all of us, you know, we are we are. Yeah, we, he, the man wasn't perfect. Right. He had his own inequities. But when it came to um, one of the number one things, like I, most people say, like people categorize him as a thief. And then I tell them, I'm like, I really don't think the the what he di- the number one thing he did was uh, he put people that were in positions of influence that, you know, now had to interact with people like a Bobby Ferguson or a Derek Miller or. They had to talk to some black people that they usually don't, don't have, have to, to talk, talk to, to to get money that they, you know. Yeah. Well, certainly as a as a public administrator and someone who sort of uh, has gotten around to a few different cities at this point, uh, it's you see public officials, folks who have run for office, uh, and you see good ones and you see bad ones. Uh, and uh, Kwame taught me. The former mayor taught me so much about what it means to truly love the city that elected you, mm-hmm. and he was 32 years old when he oh, got man. elected. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, it is. Uh, it is still with me today. Granted, I'm, uh, you know, I'm uh, sort of. I've my path is a little bit different. I'm not going to be running for office anywhere. Uh, but mm. in terms of serving the city and serving the population. Uh, that you that I live in, you know, uh, the neighborhood that I live in, the city I live in, uh, his love, his enthusiasm, his ch- way of championing and advocating for the city he loves is still with me. We'll close on that. All right. I'm, I'm definitely one of the people that, uh, like I always say, I'm not. Uh, Sometimes people think I'm too much of a Mary Kilpatrick supporter. Sometimes think I'm a Mary Kilpatrick hater. I'm just a realist of how I look at the whole situation and the scope of it all. But brilliant man. Absolutely. Brilliant man, and it's not talked about so much. Absolutely. You know, brilliant, brilliant. And to this day, I think if he he could run for office, he'd be reelected the mayor of Detroit. That's That's why the prison sentence is so long. Well, I appreciate you. I appreciate what you're doing. Uh, and I so, so much appreciate being on with you today. I'm glad Thank to you. be a part of the movement. Yes, sir. All right. Thank you. Yep. Black revolutionaries, distillery owners, Italian fashion retailers, and Motown Grammy winners all share their best stories never before told in any other media outlets on Detroit is Different. Visit DetroitIsDifferent.com or download the Detroit is Different app on Apple's App Store or Google's Play Store.